we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. The Pac-12-10 swear their allegiance for now. Georgia's smart choice as offensive coordinator, but was it a wise one? And Coach K returns to Cameron. This is the College Game Day Podcast for Wednesday, February 15th, Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. Uh, Pete, tell me about your vacation. You went, you went to Mexico. How, how was vacation? Vacation was unbelievable. Um, yeah, my wife and I went to uh, to the western coast of Mexico for a couple days, and uh, we left little, little, little Teddy with his grandma, and... Uh, you know, vacations changed a lot, Reese, in my in my older age. Uh, the the like the nine hours of uninterrupted sleep was among the was among the highlights. So uh, yeah, but it was uh, it was good. It was good to get away. Uh, good to just sort of recharge. And uh, you know, certainly it was a quiet week in college athletics during uh, during Super Bowl week. You only had uh, the Pac-12 commissioner going to visit SMU and uh, two schools deciding they were going to change leagues in a different year. So you know, just another just another quiet quiet week. Miami hired a defensive coordinator. Uh, yeah. So it never stops in our, uh, in our, in our side of the business here. So, but no, it was great. It was great to get away uh, as much as I love uh, what we do. It's always good to take a little break and recharge. Yeah. All right. We're going to rip through a lot of that, but before we get too deep in this, I want to, I want to share a little bit about a fascinating dynamic in the game that I called on Valentine's day night in Cameron indoor stadium between Notre Dame and Duke. Mike Krzyzewski and his lovely bride, Mickey, spending Valentine's Day in a building that they've loved for more than 40 years. The first Duke game that Coach K has attended, though he's been in his office to watch some, I'm told, and he still has uh, an office in the Duke basketball complex. But he's kept his distance, wanting to give John Shire room without his rather imposing presence sort of weighing down that transition. Now, nothing's changed about that. He's still giving him room. But, you know, as John said to me uh, yesterday afternoon, he said, you know, coach keeps saying, you know, he wants to give me space. And I'm like, we're good. We don't need the space. Come back whenever you want. <laughs> but the uh, the the biggest thing about that yesterday, Pete, was that Mike Krzyzewski was there certainly to support Duke, but mostly to pay his respects uh, to Mike Bray's last visit to Cameron Indoor. Most people know Bray was an assistant at Duke for eight years, six Final Fours, two national championships during that time. And at the end of Notre Dame practice, I was in Cameron because Mike Bray didn't want anything public. Duke was more than willing to honor him during the game. Bray didn't want it. So at the end of Notre Dame's practice, here comes Mike Krzyzewski carrying this gargantuan box. <laughs> I mean, car carrying it himself is a gargantuan box, right? So he goes over to Bray, and you, you know how Bray is. He's, hey, hey, how you doing? You know, and I'm yeah. keeping my distance because that's their moment. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, something that they're doing for cameras, even though, thankfully, Notre Dame shot it, Notre Dame's video people. And it's a giant bottle of wine. Hmm. And he knows his audience. He does. And engraved on the bottle is, you're the guy from Notre Dame. And the story behind that that Bray told me afterwards was after Bray had left Duke, he was the head coach at Delaware. And the Final Four in 2000 
was in Indianapolis. And, you know, as coaches do, they gather to talk and they, they went to this place that, that people used to go to a lot. It's closed down now, I think, called the Palomino. Oh, yeah. And I remember the Palomino. As, yeah. As they walk in, as Mike Bray walks in, you know, head coach at Delaware, Coach K's there, and Coach K almost greets him at the door and is pointing at him and says, you're the guy for Notre Dame. Because Coach K had said for years, according to what Bray was telling me, that one of our guys, meaning Duke guys, one of our guys should be at Notre Dame because they fit. One of our guys should be at Notre Dame. And because of the time that Bray spent at Duke, he was viewed in that light. And you know how Bray is. Bray sort of laughing. He goes, he says, you're the guy. You're the guy from Notre Dame. He goes, six days later, I was in South Bend, head coach of the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so the big bottle said, you're the guy from Notre Dame on the front. That's good. That's good. And the, the funny part about that story was that he was deep in the finalist pool the year before when Matt Doherty won and done Notre Dame to then go down to uh, to, to Chapel Hill. And uh, I think the story goes, somebody from Notre Dame called them to be like, well, you know, are you, you know, you didn't get it last time. There's no, it was like, no, it will. I'm in. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, uh, he, he done a, he, they've had a tough year. They've lost a yes. bunch of close games. They lost another close game last night. They just don't quite have as many players. There's not, there's not much margin for error. But the one thing that I took from the game last night and Cormac Ryan, one of their players, said that to me yesterday. He said, people think that we're defeated and that we've sort of checked out because we're feeling sorry for ourselves. He goes, we're still fighting. They fought their butts off, man. They really wanted to give Bray another victory in Cameron for the last time. They wanted to win one for themselves, too. But it was a um, it was it was a really, really cool thing. And it was it was also the the entire dynamic of Coach K sitting there stoically on the baseline. And, you know, obviously being totally aware that cameras were going to be on him, that any reaction he gave, you know, was going to be dissected like crazy. But, you know, wanting, but, uh, but Mickey was cheering, you know, <laughs> as, as she, uh, as she did when, uh, when Mike was coaching. I'm sure it was an odd perspective for them, though, to be in that building where they, where they have so many memories and they're still around all the time. But that was the first time they'd been to a Duke game there or anywhere else. So I'm sure it was a it was a little bit unusual for them, but it was really a fascinating dynamic to see them as spectators. And at, at one point during the game, during a commercial break, they did uh, introduce him over the public address system. The PA guy announced, you know, and legendary Duke head coach Mike Shashevsky, and they, you know, they they go nuts and the Cameron crazy start doing the we're not worthy thing to him. And he, you know, he gives him a little wave and then goes back to uh goes back to his seat. But it was uh it was really, it was really fascinating to watch that for the first time. And the, you know, and Shire, Shire, because they're still tight and they still talk and everything. Shire's handled, handled all of that really, really well. And I think he's handled his team well too. So let, let me ask you this. This is my one Duke thought from the weekend. Uh, I obviously watched that Virginia game, which was a great game in uh, Charlottesville on uh, Saturday afternoon. Do the refs overturn that call, which was a blatantly incorrect call? I have no idea how they got to where they got to. And the ACC was quick to you know put, fall on its sword after that. Do the refs overturn that call if Mike Krzyzewski is on the sideline? Uh, I've been asked that a lot, and here's how I've an answered it every time, Pete. 
I would like to think that it had no bearing on it because it, to say that then compromises the integrity of the officials involved and of the game. Um, but it's an understandable question. And one of the reasons people ask questions like that, and I've thought, I thought quite a bit about this since this happened. One of the mm -hmm. reasons people ask those types of questions, uh, a couple of reasons. One is because college coaches work the officials too much and it's allowed. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is the way the ACC handled it, which I didn't like. They, they put out the statement and basically said, there will be no more questions about this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Send the official in there. He doesn't have to go for an hour and take every question. Why'd you do this? Why'd you see that? But look, when I'm when I make a mistake, I'm accountable for it. You do. True. When the when the director pushes the wrong button, when the coach makes a bad substitution, when a player kicks a ball out of bounds. Officials are accountable also in a different way, but I think it would help the relationship and the trust and confidence of the fans if the officials came out and said look here's what happened here's what we thought we saw and mm -hmm. here is why here is why we adjudicated the rule wrong to me that call was so egregiously bad not not because it's not the same as disagreeing with a block charge. It's not the same as missing a reach in. It's not the same as the, um, I've forgotten who Ohio State was playing earlier this year, but the end of the game where the guy stepped out of bounds and came in. It's not the same as missing Rutgers. something. Yeah. yeah, Rutgers game, right. This is this is blowing the rule. Yeah, And while everybody involved there, coaches, players, broadcasters, you know, need to know the rules and try to know the rules, the people who have to know the the most subtle nuances of the rule book are the three officials. That's the one they can't miss. That's the one I've likened it to this. When my kids were young and my son's older than my daughter, I would say, say to him, Christopher, I know you'd never hit your sister with a baseball bat. I know you'd never throw a ball and hit her on purpose like that. That's an accident that can't happen. You can't say I didn't see that she walked up behind me. You can't see I didn't see that she was standing there when I threw it. You can't say that. That's one of the accidents that can't happen. There are things like that in every industry. And for an official, the, the mistake that can't happen is blowing a rule. Blowing a call, sure, everybody's yeah. going to do that. You're going to sure. miss one. You're going to miss a bunch. That's that's fine. Can't blow a rule. And that was why that one was awful. As to the question of whether uh, Coach K would have imposed his will, I don't know, because from what I've been able to ascertain, what Shire was told on the sideline wasn't exactly what happened. You know, and based mm -hmm. on what, what, what was told, uh, what was said on the sideline or what was communicated anyway, would have would have led one to believe, okay, you know, all right, you know, maybe they got it right. But then once you found out what actually happened, you realize that they blew a rule. So anyway, yeah. that, that's that's my rant on that. I don't I, I yeah. didn't mean to yeah. dodge the question. I just no, don't no. think I, I just don't think it's I I I don't feel comfortable um smashing somebody's integrity. And to me, that's what you're doing. If you're saying, yeah, Coach K did it, they never would have called that. Now every other opposing fan base is going to think it. And it's fun to joke about. I even yeah. Uh, I even joked uh, that I was going to open the open the telecast by saying, you know, for 40 years, Duke got a lot of calls. Well, not anymore. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, it would it was just a joke when you're being serious about sure. it. 
I, I don't I I would like to think the officials wouldn't wouldn't be swayed by who's on the bench. Yes. And so I think our listeners know this isn't a complaint about officiating podcasts. We have a lot of respect for officials, what they do, how they do it. I broached that question only because of human nature, right? And human nature, just like it seeps into reporting when we try to stand biased, human nature seeps into officiating. And I would just think that you are going to, yeah, I just think that human nature, I'm not saying it, he would have got the call, wouldn't have got the call, anything like that. I just think there was there would be a human nature factor that would that would lean in there. I mean, look, that's that's fair. And and for that, I don't think that's a breach of any type of integrity. If uh, yeah. if a guy, if an official looked up now, they should give John Shire, <clears throat> Hubert Davis, or whoever the same respect that they would give Coach K or Roy Williams because they're the head coach. But you're right in this sense, I believe that the human nature aspect would, of it would be, wow, if, if Coach K is saying that that it's, you know, some different rule or something, maybe you'd listen more, but you know, I, I, that, and does K, does K start to lobby earlier? And I don't know. Cause they're showing yeah. replays at the arena. I would think at John Paul Jones. Right. So, yeah. um, cause you could hear the crowd cheering after different moments. Cause there were some, mm. some views of that where you could have looked at it one way or another, but there were enough clear shots where I was just like, Oh, there's no way they overturned, you know, just cause you see the contact. And there's still 0.1.2 on the clock. And then you can clearly see after the contact that the you know backboard lights up with the red light. So um, and, and, and remember, that's not the only part of it, Pete, because he was a shooter and the ball had left his hand. Mm-hmm. Even if the foul had occurred after the clock went zero in that situation with the ball in flight mm-hmm. or the ball out of his hand, it's still a foul. It's yes. like you can't, you know, if a guy throws up a 30 foot three pointer. Mm-hmm. You know, and the horn's going off while he's still in the air. You can't go cut his legs out from under yes. him and they say no foul. Sure. Yeah. You know, so it's uh once the ball left his hand, you know, he had to be protected to the ground as I as I read that rule. So did they ever give a reason why they got it wrong? Uh I, I didn't see it in the statement. It just said it yeah, was misadjudicated. I correct. think yeah, my my feeling on it is that they missed that aspect of the rule because he was going to dunk as opposed to being a shooter. And it just, you know, a little, my, and I, this is speculation, a little yep. bit of a okay. brain cramp probably said, got it up high. You know, the contact on the ball was okay. The body contact came after, you know, sort of like, you know, sort of like would seem reasonable and not really thinking of him as being a shooter. That's a guess. I mm-hmm. haven't seen a statement that that would say that that's what it that that's what it was. We'll so. wrap this by me saying human nature. If you're the officials in that situation, says let's let them play overtime, right? Like now, now that is that I think might have happened. Yeah, that yeah. that that, and I don't. I think that's a mistake also because sure. I, like I don't like the whole idea of you got to let them play at the end. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean yeah. one side gets to foul? Mm-hmm. It's you like know, the holding I mean, call in the Super Bowl. Exactly. You can't call it there. Well, you got to call it. Like it's if he did it, call it. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> and he did it. Kinda... He admitted it. I give him a Bradbury ton of credit. Like, hey, I, I held him. Yeah. Because like, yeah. he could have gone up there and just said, there's no way you can call that there. I barely brushed him. He's like, no, I held him. I, I, yeah. I hope they would let me get away with it. I mean, those yeah. guys hold on a lot of plays. So, yeah. Um, but you got to got to try to get away with something because every rule is is yeah. tilted to the offense, and that's not a complaint. It's just fact. Yeah, sure, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Look at the score differentials between now and right. nineteen ninety two. Yeah.
Hey, I want to go into some football stuff, but since mm-hmm. we started with Coach K in basketball, you had a you had a fun game you wanted to play before we bounce away from basketball. Because yeah. I really want to get into the Georgia offensive coordinator and also okay. the yeah. the big uh, pledge of allegiance that uh, feels uh, smacks of the old alliance that went the by Pax, the boards. The Pac-12's vote of confidence in <laughs> yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, want get, I want to get to that, but you uh, being yeah. being the intrepid reporter that you are and sniffing out all of these coaching yeah. changes. Well, uh, you you have you have some you have some ideas a game you wanted to play yes and I do feel like we're entering the zone that some of our colleagues bristle at where we are post Super Bowl and people are starting to like look at the landscape of college basketball with a little more focus <laughs> now that's not to say they're followed it closely before as you and I have but this does there is an extra uh, an extra layer of focus on it and. I do think this is one of the more interesting years in the coaching carousel. Now, obviously, the the coaching carousel is something that I follow closely in football and basketball, so I may have like a little more, uh, little more eye towards that. So forgive my biases, but I do think there are some very compelling, high profile uh, places. So I, uh, I have five carousel questions, Reese Davis, that I'm going to ask you. I'm going to let you be general manager, president, AD at a, at a bunch of at a bunch of places here to make decisions. And we'll, we'll see what uh, we'll see what you decide. Uh, okay. I'll leave I'll leave the first question general. And I know you were just there. So you have a vibe. Um, what happens at Kentucky? Um, I think John Calipari stays there. He's got a really good recruiting class coming in. And I think uh, anyone would be foolish to to go otherwise. John is there there are two men on the planet that we know. There might be a couple of others, but there are two people on the planet built for that job. And their names are John Calipari and Rick Patino. They're they they were best of friends. They, they they yeah, they came out they came out of the womb or at least once they started uh, dribbling a basketball and started coaching. Uh, they're built for that job. And I think he's got a really good recruiting class coming in. I think he's adaptable. I think he'll make changes and I think he should stay. I think he should choose to stay and I don't think Kentucky should entertain the notion of of making a change. So I know the fan base is mad, but they they're always mad if they don't hang yeah. a banner. That's the way it goes. Follow up but I do, th- but I also do think this. Uh, I do think that, and and John and Cal, you know, like he's been mad before. He'll he'll get over it. And there may be others that mad that are mad too. For everything they've done, I feel like that they need another championship to sort of put a validating stamp on it. Uh, one one title doesn't. I know it's hard. And, you know, every time oh, you yeah. say this, coaches get mad and they say it's hard and it's one shot deal and you get upset by St. Peter's and all of that stuff. And it's true. All those things are true. But more than one thing can be true. And the other thing that's true is that Kentucky needs another championship in this run with the with the great players they've had to sort of put a, a validating stamp on on uh, on what John's accomplished there, which has been a lot. He's accomplished oh, yeah. a lot sure. there. Yeah. What was the vibe when you were there? Because I've I've not been to Lexington this season, and you read, and it's like the fan base is sick of um, you know, like there's they've obviously had some horrific losses last uh, this season, home and road. The the sum is not better than the parts. Let's just be blunt about that that part of it. Um, you were you were in the building two weeks ago. Was that for Tennessee? No, I was there for the Kansas game. Kansas they, game. They, I'm sorry. They, That's yeah, right. they yeah they played they won their, at Tennessee. That was a different. Yeah, yeah, they um, won at Tennessee. They played their tails off against Kansas. Kansas just better than they are. Sure. Um, I, I think that you know they don't have as many elite players as some of John's teams. That's not mm-hmm. to say they don't have really good players, and they probably 
should be playing better than they are. I, I would agree with that. Um, but the vibe in the building was a little bit of a um, they wanted to root for them. But as soon as soon as something went wrong, they just they just went to chanting vile, vulgar things at uh, the freshman from Kansas, number four. Oh, yeah. No, and uh, and then they not surprising. And, yeah. And then they you know, and then there was like um, there was some angst and disgust as I was making my way out of Rupp Arena. They were there was some there was some anger. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, no, uh, that's yeah. So you yeah. know, it's it, like any any program that has won as much as Kentucky has and expects to win, even if it's a loss to a really good team that could win the national championship again, mm. uh, they're still going to be mad, and that that's okay. It's okay to have those expectations. Yeah. You just can't let that guide your emotions to the point to where you say we need to get rid of this guy. Hey, this mm-hmm. guy's one of the best coaches in the history of the game. So mm-hmm. you know they they need to relax in that respect. Yeah. Well, good thing but is he needs we, to do better. Yeah. Let me let me say that yeah. too. That, sure. It's fair. He needs yeah. to do better. I mean, that yeah. that's a fair a fair yeah. critique. Yeah. yeah. It's a very pragmatic reasoned fan base. So, you know, I'm sure they're handling all this really uh <laughs> r- really well. I'll I'll wrap that one with a bow to say I'd be curious. Now, he and Mitch Barnhart aren't exactly vacationing together, the athletic director at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I'd be curious if they if they try to shake up his staff. John has never really had a Remember when Billy Donovan got Larry Shiat on his staff and yeah, it really helped yeah. iron out some of the X's and O's issues. Um, I don't look at John's staff right now. I, I see John surrounding him with comfort, right? Like not not anyone who's pushing not anyone who's pushing them, especially schematically. So I'd be curious if some changes come there. They're obviously not going to fire him. It's 40 whatever million. So like that's not going to happen. Uh, but what also can't happen is when John has lost games in recent years, he's gone and flirted with other schools and looked for a warm hug because he's, uh, you know, John's sensitive, like a lot of these coaches are. Um, and so I don't think like that's going to be well received. I, I think he's self-aware enough to to know that like he's got to bow up and be better, um, like, yeah. like, like he said, than, than he has been. So, well, let's transition to question two, Reese. Question two is about John's dear friend, Rick Patino. He's coaching at Iona. They're in first place in the MAC, and uh, Rick Patino can really coach basketball. This is not a news flash. Um, where can Rick Patino go coach next year? Um, and, and is that on the table for a for a blue blood power six program to bring seventy year old Rick Patino back? You you would know whether it was on the table better than I based on your connections through the agent world and and the search firm world. I can say this: if uh, you know, if any schools in the New York City area or you know, in, or in the D.C. area were going to make a change, if you know, and I, I don't want to get on here and advocate somebody getting fired. Although I, mean, I don't know why not people do it, but anyway, if I were, <laughs> do if it. I were, if I were, yeah, if I were going to Patrick Ewing were, should definitely be fired. There's no, there were, there's, there's yeah. no gray area there. He's been terrible. Yeah. If there, if there were going to be changes there, you, you bet your bottom dollar I'd hire that dude because right now, even at seventy, um, if if I if you said one game, equal talent, money on the table. Winner take all. Choose your coach. That's my guy. I would take Rick Pitino. And, and because of that, I mean, uh, if if he is hireable, 
And there, you know, there are things in the background that you would have to square and you'd have to um, become comfortable with. But maybe at this stage of his life, that would be a little bit easier to do. Um, I, I'd hire him in a heartbeat. Uh, I, I would. Yeah, I think that the uh, basketball wise, acumen wise, uh, he still individually works out all his players himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, energy wise, there's there's a lot of good there. But yes, you would. There would be a couple couple days of tough publicity if you hired Rick Pitino. There's no other way to say it. Um, and from a universe, I don't think athletic directors would hesitate, but I do think some universities would hesitate because of some of the controversies that he has uh, that he has that he has put on himself, really. Um, I don't want to say he's endured them. He has, uh, you know, he's. Yeah, he's brought it on himself for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, there's, no there's, there, there's no question. And we don't want to, yeah. if we were here, if we had to relitigate all of Rick Patino's controversies, the podcast would be, uh, <laughs> you know, longer than longer than listeners would want. But um, I would say this. There, that there, I, would be, there might be some prurient interest, though, that would keep the listeners fascinated. So, yes, <laughs> the uh, I, I would. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Rick Patino as a coach. I don't think there has been a better one in the time that I've covered college basketball. I think he's, well, yeah. No, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt, but the uh, the two jobs that we're talking about, Pete, need fixing, and and Rick's not a long term solution. I mean, Rick's sure. a health nut, and he's in you know as far as I know, is not only in great shape but also great health, which sometimes they're two different things. But as mm-hmm. far as I know, he is, and um, so, but he's still he's what'd you say seventy? Yeah, I mean, seventy. So you're, yep. so you're still you're still looking at, at probably. Four or five years, right? Correct. So, yeah. um, so that's uh, and those those programs uh, probably need that. Yeah, you know, they, they they they're not they're not in a position to look at something that's going to put them uh, to give them some stability for 10, 12 years. They need to get fixed. Yes. And, and I don't know that there's a, a greater fixer in the, in the history of the modern college game than Rick yes. Pitino has been. Yeah. St. John's is in the fetal position. Georgetown's a corpse mm-hmm. and you know, like Georgetown, it is unbelievable what happened to that brand. I mean, that brand that had so much cultural resonance, so much championship pedigree, it has just been, uh, it, you know, the doubling down on Patrick Ewing uh, contractually is one of the all-time administrative blunders that I've that I've ever been around in it, my, in my career, and they're going to pay for it, literally pay for it, because it's a uh, the the price tag on his buyout. I've been told is just astronomical. Also, you have to divorce yourself from the greatest player in program history, right. which is painful. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a presidential led hire by Jack DeJoy and it has just been an unmitigated disaster. And, and, and they won the Big East tournament. I thought that, yeah, what, correct. two years ago? And yes. They I had thought, won a bunch of games and a bunch of nights and they extended them after. Yeah. And I thought, I, I thought, okay, here they come because, you yeah. know, he had a, I think he had a decent, you know, rep as a, you know, as a coach in the NBA because he was doing some coaching there. And mm-hmm. I, I thought oh, he was an okay. NBA and assistant for a long time. Yeah. And so yeah. I thought, okay, I thought here they come, uh, you know, I'm not there. They, I don't know what's happened, but it is, it's a, it's an abject disaster right yes. now with, uh, with the way it's, it's gone. So, yes. And he actually isn't, haven't been a terrible recruiter. He has not developed and, and maintained. They brought in a handful of decent guys, but the staffing was a disaster from the start. Like he just didn't know how to run a college program. And they basically took three. It was a little bit like the Bill Stewart hire at West Virginia. They took three nights in the garden or whatever it was and like looked past all of the other sins. But I want to say since that they won one Big East game since that run in the garden. 
So yeah. that's uh, maybe it's two now, but like it was, they had like a, a unbelievably long Big East losing streak. They snapped by beating uh, beating DePaul the other night. So anyway, I want a vibrant Georgetown and a vibrant St. John's as a Northeast guy. I just think yeah. like college basketball is better when you have New York City engaged, when you have DC engaged. I am a full on believer that Washington DC is the greatest high school basketball city in our country. And the WCAC is the best league in the country. You could argue some prep school stuff, but in terms of high school leagues um, and there's just, there's just no reason, especially for Georgetown um, to be able to, to skim some of the top talent from there and put on a annual top 25. And that, that when they could have hired Ewing, the other person who, who, was targeted there um, with Shaka Smart, and he's mm-hmm. you know he went to a little Catholic school in Milwaukee. They're they're doing all right. They're doing so. well. I got a I got a name for you. Yeah, go. Somebody who said that while he's stepping down from his current job, he's not retiring. Mike Bray. Well, he could do what Ewing has not done and galvanize DC. Mike Bray has a great reputation in the WCAC, which is the Catholic School Conference in DC. And um, yeah, I mean, it would be an institutional fit. He would be a galvanizing force. Mike Bray is a relationship maestro. He could balance the Thompson dynamic, which is still complicated there. Um, and he could uh, he could just go shake hands. And, and, and I mean, look, they've gotten better DC players at Notre Dame the past 20 years than Georgetown has. Yeah. If you, if you really go back and look, you know, re- recruiting wise. So um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a fascinating name Reese. And uh, I think that's something that would, that would energize, uh, energize Mike in a lot of ways too. Um, Anthony Solomon, his top assistant was actually at Georgetown uh, for a run under the, under the last, uh, under the last staff there. And mm-hmm. uh, no, I, yeah. I feel like that. I had not thought of that, but I think that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense for there. Be- yeah, I mean, he came from Dematha, you know, yeah, uh, and sure. was at Delaware before yeah. he went to Notre Dame. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, I won't bore you, got- you with like Notre Dame recruits from the DC area, but there's been quite a few of them. You know that that Mike has gone. Rod Belanis was his top assistant for a while. He was another Dematha mm-hmm. grad. They they dove into there plenty. I mean, Dematha in Georgetown had really waged war for, for a bunch of years. There was a Thompson Wooten dynamic there that, uh, mm-hmm. that was prevalent. And that is, that is since passed, but he could, he could take, take two, two DC strongholds that were against each other and bridge them together very quickly. Paul, the sixth is the dominant team in DC. Now it's not to math anymore, but um, so question three is, can Georgetown get its groove back? We, we, we organically dovetailed into there. <laughs> question four would be if you are CDC, if you are Chris Del Conte, the Texas job is open. Who do you hire, Reese Davis? I think the people I would want to hire shouldn't take the job, <laughs> and and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean Texas isn't a great job. It's a great job, and right. with the new arena, spectacular, going to the SEC, a lot of money, uh, you know, whole thing, everything's great. But the guys you figure they would target, Calipari, Nate Oates. Eric Musselman, uh, all those guys, in my judgment, either have a better job or a similar one, you know, and so there's not a lot of upside to making that move. And I know that um, Chris's reputation is that he wants to get a big name. The guy that uh, that maybe I would try that I also think probably ought to stay put is Kelvin Sampson because he can. Uh, he's proven he's gotten to the final four where he is, and he may well do it again this year. He might win a national championship there. Um, that would be a great hire. 
I don't have the exact name for you, Pete, but the one thing that I wouldn't be afraid to do, I know it didn't work with Shaka Smart. They tried to find the next big thing with Shaka. Go ahead and do that in basketball again and hope it works this time or find the one you're most sold on. They had the perfect guy for the job and off the court issues, um, you know, meant that they had to part ways with Chris Beard. Chris Beard was the perfect guy for Texas. That's who they mm-hmm. wanted. Texas guy. They coveted him. They got him. It didn't work. So now uh, you're trying to make up for that. I would find the next guy that you completely believe in that's probably had some success at the lower level and not be fixated on trying to take Kentucky's coach or another sitting SEC coach or whatever it might be. That that's uh that's the the way I would look at it. The you know, you know, trying to would you go try to get Mick Cronin, you know, away from you know, pry him away from UCLA with the pack pack 12 10s. Um, that's my new thing. Uh struggles, you know. I mean, would you try that? Now that, you know, if you could talk him into it, but again, does he have a better lifestyle situation where he is right now? I don't know. So, but I I would try to find the next big thing, be confident in it, go all in behind it and go that way and not be fixated on winning, you know, winning the press conference by by the fact that, you know, we we stole insert uh coach X's name here, their coach. Chris Delconi loves to win the press conference. So um, well, everybody I, does. Yes, I would too sure. if I were an AD. Wouldn't yeah. you? Wouldn't you? Oh no, no, uh, no, no question. Um, so Grant McCasland at North Texas, I would say, is probably like in that footprint, the top mid-major guy who would be who would be coming up right now. I'm going to say this about the Texas job. We could do a whole podcast. Is Texas a good basketball job? It's like, is Joe Flacco elite, right? Like it should be great. (laughs) It's never been great. Um, It's rarely been great. And when it was very good under Rick Barnes, it was not appreciated because it wasn't championship level great. So there, I would say that Texas is a better basketball job in the SEC than it was in the Big 12. That's fair because in, in, in the Big 12, there are a lot of, uh, I mean, you're measured against Kansas no matter what, and Kansas basketball is the most important thing on campus. It's sort yes. of like Kentucky basketball in the SEC. Yeah, and you let Baylor pass you, and they out-invested you, and you let Texas Tech really pass you in some ways and out-invest you. Now, you're a little bit ahead of them now, but there are places where the the heartbeat for basketball uh, were more. I will say this, the Moody Center where they play now is spectacular. The uh, the practice facility where where Texas lives is not spectacular, and yeah. uh, I think that's always been some of the frustrations at Texas is that basketball has been treated like a second class citizen, and some t- some of the coaches there have not been able to be better than some of the problems there. So, um, and it is, you know, yeah, and I think any coach in the in the Big Twelve too, because of the money um, that that might be available to Texas. Uh, would would probably be a potential target. Now, I know the Big 12's gotten some things straightened out, and there's a lot to love about coaching basketball in the Big 12 as opposed to coaching at Texas and in the SEC. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes money talks, and there are some, yeah. you know, there's some really good coaches uh, in, in that conference who, yeah. you know, the, because of finances might find themselves open to listening. Yeah. One last note to put a bow on that. Like Nate Oates is a great name. I I believe his buyout is $12 million to leave. So like there are some obvious names that Texas isn't going to pay that for a basketball coach. Um, 
the uh, Dennis Gates has been wonderful at Missouri. Uh, his buyout is 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 fairly astronomical too, and as it should be, he's been there a year. So like that's not that's not a shot at anybody. But I do think once you go through some financial realities, even replaced with the money of Texas, um, it whittles the list down. Uh, it whittles the list down some there. Our final question, Reese, as you put on a, another AD hat, what should Louisville do about Kenny Payne? Uh, give him another year. I know that sounds crazy uh, given how they've played, but I think because of the situation that he stepped into, the complete dysfunction, I think you run the risk of completely crater. I mean, for this season, they're cratered, but you run the risk of cratering everything you have if you make another change unless i'm going to offer this caveat pete unless there are issues of which i am unaware that makes it untenable to go forward and i don't mean play on the court if there are if there are organizational type things that aren't fixable maybe that's maybe that's different and i know louisville fans probably don't want to hear that but I, I would I would give it another year, but understand that that another year would would be it. You can't stick with something too long, but it 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 seems to me that I would I would see if I could help him fix what's what's wrong and, and give it another year to try to get it right. Is that crazy? I don't know. And it's not crazy because I, I certainly you want you want people to have an opportunity. Um the thing that would concern me if I was Louisville is that. He did not have the urgency to flip the roster because here's the thing. Now there, we say this in football all the time. Oh, it'll set him back years. We used to say that. Well, under the old rules, when you had yeah. scholarship limitations and no portal and one-time transfer, you could get set back years if you had an issue. There's none of that now. You can completely bring in right. twelve yeah. new players, or you know, pretty much eighty-five new players, right? I mean, UConn brought in like fifty last year when Moore got there. So. There is every year is a new opportunity. And the fact that uh, he took an underwhelming roster and pretty much rolled with it. Um, I think they took one one transfer to me, just spoke to a lack of fundamental understanding of the job. What what's the expectation? What's needed there? I mean, he knows what it looks like. He was on the Kentucky bench for a mm -hmm. bunch of years. I, I mean, there shouldn't have been a lot of ambiguity on the talent level, what it was and what it needed to be. So to me, that's concerning that there wasn't an urgency and an awareness there. Um, if he does come back, again, it's all talent driven, right? Like we'll know before the first practice if if, if they're going to be, work. if it's going to yeah. work, because like yeah. it, it would just all come down to roster. And really some of that's going to come down to NIL because it's going to have to be portal driven and portal driven decisions are money driven decisions. Yeah. So um, I am skeptical that it will work. Um, it would be an expensive decision. It would also be, and you don't want to underestimate this, a very difficult decision in the city of Louisville where he was an all time great player. Mm -hmm. right. And there is there, you know, th those dynamics can't be overlooked. Um, you know, there was that, that pull brought him there. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was always some skepticism of his ability to coach, which is why he was not hired for for a long time at a high profile job. So, um, so th some of those fears have been reaffirmed. It's it's looked like you talk to people who played them this year. They are not a uh, well prepared unit. That would be the general the general consensus by uh, by opposition. So, 
Um, yeah, it is unfortunate because it would have been wonderful if, uh, you know, college basketball is a better place, like we said earlier. St. John's is ripping. Georgetown's ripping. Louisville is one of the great programs in the history of the sport. And they're having perhaps their worst season in their storied history. So I am skeptical from the empirical evidence that has emerged that they can turn it around. I'm hopeful for Kenny Payne's sake that they that they can. Um, but it'll be it will be interesting. One one thing that brought that up, I read an article this week in um, Football Scoop on the Tennessee Martin coach Jason uh, yeah. Simpson, who he he quoted, he used an old Bear Bryant quote because it was the article is largely about his coaching tree, and he the old Bear Bryant quote was that you go and hire people who are smarter than you. You have to be secure enough to do that. And, you know, you mentioned it with Billy Donovan and Larry Scheidt. Not to say that Billy's a brilliant basketball guy, but you Mm -hmm. hire guys who know things and have areas of expertise that you don't. Or even maybe better put is, uh, or less simply put, is they have strengths that maybe you don't. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's it's Patrick Ewing, and I don't know that he'll have that opportunity now, or Kenny Payne, or, you know, Billy Donovan or Jason Simpson or whoever it is in in the coaching world, the smartest coaches realize they don't know everything and are secure enough to go and hire someone who has a strength that they don't have. Or, or if one manifests itself while they're on the staff, they, uh, they utilize it and utilize that strength. And that's something that, that, uh, Kenny Payne needs to do post haste if he's going to have a chance to to make it work. Whatever whatever the liabilities are that that you mentioned in terms of preparation, whoever can help him fix those, uh, that he needs to go out and do that, and he probably needs to overhaul the roster, which is which is much easier said. I mean, much easier done than said these days. I mean, even look at Duke. Um, you know, Duke has. I know it's a different deal for them right now, but they've got 11 new guys, you know, uh, a couple of those out, out of the portal. Uh, they've they've basically got two guys back, one that played last year. So even even programs that are winning and are at that level are are flipping their rosters regularly. Hey, before we before we wrap this up, let's turn to football just quickly because I don't think this is going to take long. What did you make of the the Pac-12's version of of the old um, Big Ten? Pac-12 ACC alliance thing that they they swear their love for each other. What did you make of that? Any well, boy, any? that didn't make a lot of sense to me. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me because the only statement that there's two statements I need to see from the Pac-12. One is the TV deal and what the number is, and those numbers are supposed to be coming in the upcoming weeks, maybe month here. And then the second thing that I need to see from the Pac-12 is the grant of rights from Oregon and Washington. All everything else is just insecurities manifesting themselves publicly. That's really what I what I thought of that. I think Brett Yormark is in George Klyovkov's head. That that's really what that uh, what that statement said to me. You know, I've I've seen some pushback on the teams that or the universities that the Pac-12 has uh, at least examined for potential expansion, um, San Diego State, SMU, or whatever. Um, Here's why, and, and you kind of know where I stand on all this stuff. I it drives me insane when these administrators talk about, well, we have to be in an athletic conference with people with similar academic missions. That's a bunch of bull. Uh, expansion makes sense for the Pac-12 someplace if they need the inventory for those media right deals, media rights deals that you're talking about. 
This is a business. Colleges are business, not just the sports. Colleges mm-hmm. are business. If they weren't businesses, tuition wouldn't have skyrocketed skyrocketed eight times faster than wages between 1989 and 2016, according to a 2019 report. Sure. Perhaps coincidentally, or perhaps not, that increase sort of falls on a timeline when athletic revenues exploded. So my point is this, if the PAC 10 of 12 needs inventory and they think SMU or San Diego State or Fresno State or Willamette College can give them quality content, sign them up because Mm -hmm. this educational cooperation among member institutions, that's great. What's stopping you from doing the same thing with a Mountain West school or an SEC school or a WAC school or a WCC school, whoever you, you can cooperate educationally with whoever you want to. So, you know, I don't want to hear that. Uh, other than that, I have no opinion on that. But uh, <laughs> it, it, expansion makes sense because of inventory. The bottom line is this. Expansion makes sense for the Pac-12 if they need the inventory. And expansion doesn't make sense if some pinhead is going to say, well, they don't have the same level of Bunsen burners that we do in the in the chemistry lab. I would I would agree with that. I would say that announcing yourself by going to SMU just basically says SMU is not a value add, meaning meaning it is not going to it is not going to add to your pot. It will you're going to get the Dallas market because the Pac-12 is an SMU. Yeah. Yes, correct. Like you will get a solid program in football, um, a sometimes solid program in basketball, though not right now. And you can get a recruiting toehold in Dallas. So there's, I like SMU. It's this is not anti SMU, but SMU is not going to deliver the same share, if you will, that one of your mainstream higher end thing. You know, if it's if the Pac-12 is going to get thirty five million a year. Adding SMU doesn't give you another thirty-five million, just to yeah. use some round numbers. So, to me, it's a it's a sign of we we need more inventory, which maybe it's a a tip. Um, it just the whole thing didn't make a lot of sense to me, Reese. Uh, the yeah. trip and the basketball game, it just was, it was it was different. What what did make sense? Last thing before we get out of here, Georgia has a new offensive coordinator. It's their old offensive coordinator. Mike Bobo uh, was on played at Georgia on staff at Georgia from 2001 to 14. Was an analyst there last year. Offensive coordinator uh, from seven to 14. And for all the complaining that people had about Bobo at the time among Georgia fans, had that great offense with Aaron Murray. Uh, 40 points per game season on his resume, just like Todd Munkin, who left to go to the Ravens. Um, Probably, you know, he had Matthew Stafford, probably the time at Colorado State and his health and the way it ended there and the year at Auburn with Harson has sort of skewed that a little bit. Uh, I'm not down on this hire at all, uh, actually. Now, you know, is it a surefire? I don't know if any hire is a surefire thing. You know, maybe, you know, maybe Lane Kiffin is an O.C., is a surefire thing, or Steve Sarkeesian's an OC is a surefire thing. But I'm not down on the hire. What What did you think of it? Like it, don't love it. Um, Mike Bobo's a solid coach. He's been a coach. He's familiar there. He's a you know legendary player there. Um, you know, there he will be dealing with you know pocket aces from in terms of a roster standpoint, a talent standpoint. And I often find when an elite elite coordinator leaves Reese. You don't feel the carryover till the second season mm-hmm. because there's enough carryover right now. You have Brock Bowers back. You know, you have, mm-hmm. you know, stacked top two recruiting classes coming in. But when the when the talent really does 
shift and change. And there obviously is going to be a change at quarterback. And, you know, you probably aren't the thumper 12 personnel team you are without Washington. I mean, he was just a different duck. Like there was, he was one of one, um, the six foot eight Sequoia of a tight end that they had. Um, so it, there will be some identity evolution, I think, uh, in the, uh, in the, in the upcoming year, but in two years, you're going to have a whole lot of identity evolution. And I think that's when we'll really get a sense of what Mike Bobo can do to evolve and spin this Georgia offense. And I will leave you with this. Todd Munkin takes over as the offensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. And when they get to the seventh round, sixth, seventh, fifth, sixth, seventh round, if the former Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett is still on the board. I'm going to say the Ravens will not select him. Put a bean on it. That's what I say, Pete. That's my guess. All right. Fair all enough, right. Reese. Fair I'll enough. say they will not select. And so you can read between the lines all you want to there. <laughs> and and both parties will probably be plenty satisfied with that. Although it got better at the end. Championships will do that. Pete, go break a story, man. Uh, well, always great to talk to you. I'm glad that you uh, glad you made it back safely and had a great vacation. Thank you for listening to the College Game Day podcast. Download it wherever you like to get your podcast.